Well, hello there, everyone, and thank you so much to Against the Tide for putting together these awesome photos, art pieces of me and my brother so that we can talk once again about the best games of the year here in 2023. And because he is in the studio right now, I thought we'd bring Tom as well. He's definitely as buff as this piece of art. Yeah, no, don't, uh, don't let the camera fool you. You know, that they say the camera takes off 10 or 12 pounds of muscle. Of muscle? Yeah, that's that's what they say. I like that the AI knows me as in a hoodie now. It's true. That is a that was that is a you outfit. It's 2023. It's hoodies all the time. <laughs> Except for right now where you're wearing a sweater. I, I wanted to be festive. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all that good stuff. We love to do this episode every year to talk about the best video games that we've played and experienced. It doesn't mean it's the best video games ever made or anything like that, because we can't play everything that comes out. We do our best, but 2023 was one of my favorite years in the history of gaming, and there are still things on our list that we didn't get to. So like prior years, Tom and I are going to go over honorable mentions that we didn't have space for on our top tens, as well as things that you might expect to see but you won't, either because we didn't play them enough or because we didn't like them as much as some of the other people that evaluate the video game industry. So with that said, you can prepare your angry hate DMs or comments or, you know what I really love, angry super chats. Those are always the best, right? <laughs> uh, so, you know, feel free. Uh, but uh, I see people are already commenting on your sweater, Tom. Let yeah, me introduce right? you to the folks that don't know. Tom is a video game developer. He actually makes the ones and zeros that pop out as demons or supernatural soldiers or whatever it is that you're playing on your video games. Uh, and he currently works for a company called Zenimax Online, which is part of the Zenimax family of companies, which is part of the kind of Bethesda crew. And so one of the things I know he wants to disclaim is that he's basically related either first degree or second degree to everyone in the video game industry. So he's... Only going to comment so much on the negatives of things, especially ones that come out of his company, because that's just good business and makes for good relationships at Christmas time and over the holidays. But Tom, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, no, I uh, I can't actually talk about games, so um, I'm just here to kind of observe. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I I work for Zenimax. I I and then there was the acquisition and so Microsoft now owns Activision Blizzard who I worked for before and now I guess work with again. Anyway, um for some titles that are very close to home, uh I will be sparing in details. Yep, and I think that's wise oh, and I think everybody can understand that. And Anything that I express today is my sole opinion. It does not represent the opinion of ZeniMax, Bethesda, Microsoft, Activision, Blizzard, or anyone else. Just me. That's fair. Just your opinion. It's not Phil's. It's not Sacha's. It's not the FTC's. And it's not legal advice. Nothing in this video will create a lawyer-client relationship between you, me, or Tom. And you don't want a lawyer relationship with Tom. He's not licensed anywhere. I wouldn't recommend it. I know and I do want to I, I do want to point out Kelly C got an early start here to allow you to swear Tom. Half for Tom's cursy jar, half for Rick's fulsome jar. I'm probably going to say fulsome a few times. And I curse. Okay. <laughs> we try to keep it family friendly here, but Kelly C has prepaid for your curses. 
Just so, so I know, what's the going rate on curses these days? Is it is it this a post inflation curse economy? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not quite as robust. So yeah, you got ten dollars of cursing. We can we can trust your judgment on that, Tom. You most certainly cannot. But thank you <laughs> anyway. Thank you, Kelly C., uh, who's also a big Michigan Wolverine fan. is always making me feel better about whatever horrible thing is happening on the field on Twitter. So thank you very much for being here with us tonight. We're going to talk about a lot of fun games. And my brother has gone to the effort of making up half of his list of games I've never heard of, despite being on the BitCast every single week. So it's going to be a lot of fun for everyone. And we're going to start out with my honorable mentions. These are games that didn't make it to my top 10 list but I still thought were worthy of talking about for the reasons that are in the parentheses on this little exhibit. So the first I wanted to point out, and I know, Tom, you played this with me uh, while you were visiting with me this year, the making of Karateka or Karateka, depending on your pronunciation. And this is a title that very specifically brings forward into time a game that is of its own time of the 80s and early 90s called Karateka in which you're just a guy that goes to rescue a girl and beats up people on the way. But it's a very important game in history, and it's one that I remember from when I was a kid. And instead of just releasing it as a remake or something like that, Digital Eclipse wound up interviewing the person that made it, Jordan Mechner, who went on to make Prince of Persia and other things you might be more familiar with, and getting interviews with him and his father who composed for the game and really talking about all these in-depth things about the making of the game. And I think for the purposes of preserving history, it's a really important title, and Digital Eclipse is going to keep doing that with other creators and other games. And I think it's a really good idea. So I wanted to make sure it got an honorable mention here, even though certainly as a game, it doesn't compete with modern games. And even as a project, it's not really the same kind of thing we'll be talking about on the rest of the list. Tom, you watched these videos with me. Did you like making of Karateka? Yeah, they did a good job with like the documentary piece and like making it interesting to, you know, see, especially the different things that Jordan had tried before ever getting to Karateka and, you know, the stuff that he was interested in. And also, kind of that old school video game publisher developer relationship and what that looked like where you're, you know, you're sending letters and discs back and forth. Um, yep. There's a, there's a great documents of him sending letters from, I think he was at Yale, I, I, some Ivy league school and to Broderbun and them interacting by, by snail mail while he tried to get this done instead of going to class. Um, so, you know, not the best role model slash example, but still very, very cool history. And I really, really loved it. So. Check that out, folks, Making of Karateka. I don't think it's that expensive. Um, certainly one of the reasons I like these lists and I like to do them right now is that we have a lot of sales going on for end of year and kind of the, the long-winded Black Friday sale for the ones that stay open for like three weeks. So do check those out. The next one I wanted to mention, and I know Tom's a big fan of farming games, is Fay Farm. If you don't know, Fay Farm is a pretty high-end, highly resourced farming game. So you're thinking of your, your harvest moons, more likely you're thinking of your Stardew Valleys now at this point. And instead of just doing farming and relationships and, and mining, it also has magical elements. So it has boss battles and it has um, fairies everywhere, right? So that's a pun, fairly fun farming is there's, there's fairies everywhere. That's the fae aspect of it. Um, and it's just really well done. It's my favorite farming game since Stardew Valley. And I, I highly recommend it for folks that are interested in farming games. Pikmin 4, a Nintendo game. I've labeled it here the best in the series. I don't really think there's any question there. If you're not familiar with Pikmin, this is a game about a cute little Nintendo spaceman who winds up on some planet that looks a lot like Earth, but he's very, very small, like 
like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids small, and he finds and befriends these plant creatures called Pikmin, and the gameplay is that you go around and solve environmental puzzles by hurling Pikmin at things, um, which is a reductive way of describing the game, but it's really excellent for both like kind of traversal and cartography and, and map solving as well as puzzle solving. Uh, so if any of that sounds interesting to you with the usual kind of slapping of Nintendo goodness on top of it, Pikmin 4 is for you. Tom, do you love Pikmin? Um, I don't have a... Well, I guess I really like it. Um, it's funny because the one memory I have of Pikmin was I didn't own or I didn't have a GameCube at college um, or I didn't have pikmin i can't remember one of the two and my friend did so i just said hey can i play pikmin on your gamecube he's like oh yeah sure he was doing something school related or something so i just i literally sat in there the whole day and just fit, played it from top to bottom i think you can probably beat it in eight hours or so the original yeah yeah i mean they had a specific timer a lot of people don't like the first pikmin because it does have this kind of concept of you can waste too much time or spend too many resources and not get to the end state of that game. And they took that out for the most part in the future Pikmin titles and made it more of a kind of cozy core game, even though Pikmin 4 has a lot of monsters to beat and things like that. And it's a broader game than the prior entries. It still doesn't bring back that time pressure, which is really resource management pressure because it's not real time, but I digress. I also note that Dan Rodriguez, my co-host of the Seasoned Gaming Bitcast, which you can find on every Sunday, except these two Sundays coming up because they're Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, is here to ask for where my Spider-Man 2 praise is. We'll see if it comes, Dan. We'll see if it comes. Uh, the next one I wanted to mention is Lies of P, which, if you don't know, is a Dark Souls-like game featuring robots that take the place of the puppets in the Pinocchio story. Um, and if that sounds super weird, it's super weird, but it's also really well done. And it probably would make my game of the year list if I personally liked Souls games a little bit more, <laughs> just like that experience of dying and, and re-dying and getting more expert. And I, I don't hate it. Some people think I really hate Souls games. I don't, but they don't kind of get me where other people are with how much they love them. So, Tom, Liza P. good, bro. Y yes, indeed. I am not getting good. And one thing I should point out as part of this list, I think most of you that are here with me right now know this, but I did suffer a stroke about a year ago. And, and part of my list is going to depend on the fact that for six months, I really couldn't play games very well. And even now it's kind of a reduced functionality on my left hand. And so games that are really, really hard are even harder for me at this point, And they don't tend to gel with my play style right now. So... That is, in fact, get good, bro. Uh, but that's where I'm at right now. I feel like that's as far as I can push that now. Now I feel bad. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things I did want to mention to folks is that, hey, Tom, this is the first time that we've sat here chatting about video games with snow out my window since you were sitting in my hospital room. So all sorts of memories are flooding back. This is, a, this is an interesting time. We can tell us uh, stories about moonshiners. That's right. We'll talk about moonshiners. We'll, we'll watch Young Sheldon episodes. We'll talk about video games. If we were talking about the video games we were talking about at the start of this year, we'd be talking about Forspoken commercials uh, and uh, whether or not Final Fantasy was going to be any good, I think. And like the Assassin's Creed Mirage uh, ad, I think, like every five seconds. That came in October, but we spent a lot of time this year. We did. Oh, maybe that's what <laughs> I was thinking of was when we were hanging out in October. Yep. So my brother is fantastic. 
And I think I've told this story as part of my stroke series, but when he heard about my condition, he dropped everything. He drove into town. He lives in Wisconsin. I live in Southeast Michigan. Uh, and then he was there in the hospital room when I regained consciousness. So he's awesome. I love him. But it does mean that he had to spend more of his year looking after his brother that couldn't quite do everything he wanted to do than he probably would have liked. And <laughs> so while I would usually make fun of the fact that he's only available for one episode a year, I do think that he well earned his freedom from me and not doing videos with us uh, this year in particular. But he yeah, we, we could have recorded a lot of stuff, but Rick was indisposed. <laughs> Well, and I wasn't really able to string together long sentences or thoughts that would have made any sense to anybody for big periods of time there. So as folks know, I've only started kind of making videos at any kind of volume over the past month or so, and certainly not the volume I was at last year. And if you didn't watch my Stroke Series, Tom, I did give you full credit to commenting on my schedule last year as, Rick, you're not going to be able to keep that up, bro. And me saying, yes, I can. And I don't know whether I won or not there. I, I, I could, and then... My body said no. So that's a perfect intro for Cassette Beasts. Tom, have you played Cassette Beasts? I have. I, this was actually on my list of uh, hopefuls. Oh, yes. So there's so many games that came out this year that we could have done three honorable mentions lists apiece. But we are going to try to keep this to three hours or under. Uh, and that's primarily because of me. Last year, we did four hours and 20 minutes. And for the most part, I've done enough bitcasts now that I know that at about the three-hour mark, I start fading. And so we're going to try to do it in three hours or under, or maybe a little bit over if we wind up talking too much like I'm doing right now. But either way, uh, that's the aim for today's episode. So hopefully you'll be with us for that whole time, and we'll talk about some more of these games, like Cassette Beasts, which is a really cool Pokemon-type game where you have cassettes, and you put a cassette in a player, and you become a cute little monster. Uh, and these fights are done on 2v2 rather than 1v1. And with a great soundtrack and cool visuals, I really like it as much, if not more, than playing Pokemon. So Pokemon has always seemed to be a kind of low-hanging fruit for people to go after with, with a fun premise of collecting monsters and fighting them. But this is the first time I can really recall where I've liked it as much as Pokemon. Maybe Temtem. Temtem is close but I really, really like Cassette Beasts a lot. So if that sounds good to you, check that one out. Uh, I really like that one. Tom, do you like it? Yeah, no, I like Cassette Beasts. Um, I agree that it's got a, a fun soundtrack and an interesting design. They have a weird system where you can basically take any two monsters and jam them together and get something. Um, at least as far as I've played so far, that's just a combination of their abilities. I don't know if it evolves past that, um, but I do... <laughs> The uh, they have a song that they play in the cafe that I, every time I hear it, I laugh. I can't remember exactly why, but it's something like everyone. So basic premise in Cassette Beasts, people are in an alternative world and no one can get out of it. And so the cafe is like, we're all stuck here and there's nothing we can do or something like, like And it's not not like sing songy. It's like chill, like Starbucks. Yeah, no, it's, music. it's like lo-fi cafe music. And I, yeah, I think it's something along the lines of like. Uh, we're we're stuck in a boat without wind, but there's enough air, and we're all in it together, so it's going to be okay. Yeah, but it's something it's, along it's those really lines. Really chill, and so when you listen, when I listen to it, it, just makes me laugh. And for the important things, I agree entirely with Claude Simeon here. I like Young Sheldon so much more than Big Bang. I do too. Uh, I I tend to like 
family sitcom setups and workplace fa- sitcom setups more than friends sitting on a couch in an apartment setups. So that might be part of it. But I think Young Sheldon does a good job. And I wouldn't have found it if I wasn't sitting in a hospital with very few choices on my television. Tom can attest to that. We watched all sorts of crap. Oh, we we did. We did. And thank you to June B for gifting the five Hogla memberships. I really appreciate it. Folks, do check out the emojis if you get one of those memberships. We have a lot of them. We're going to try to add more. I really like the hype party here if you watch Lawyers and Dragons. We also have just pictures of brains, which came before my stroke, but I find to be particularly ironic now. So enjoy all of those. And thank you so much, June B. Uh, next is the Talos Principle 2 talking about brains. This is a puzzle game in which you manipulate lasers and prisms and things in a first-person environment to solve environmental puzzles while also participating in a robot society after the end of mankind. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, please do check it out. It is a fantastic puzzle game. It's really well thought out how they've implemented the puzzles and how you interact with them. It's not at all loosey-goosey or sloppy like some indie games. And I'm not trying to call out indie games here exactly, but one of the things that I like about puzzle games that I really enjoy are that there's kind of specific rules that you can learn, specific ways that you can adapt to the puzzles, and Talos Principle 2 does it as well as anybody else. And I don't like kind of sloppiness, should I try to run past this gate because it takes that long for the gate to close kind of thinking. And Talos Principle 2 doesn't have any of that. So please do check it out. It's very long. It has a ton of puzzles and it has a lot of things to say about existential thoughts regarding robots, AI, and humanity. So what better things could go together? How far have you gotten in Talos Principle 2, Tom? I don't Zero. even I don't think I even own Talos Principle 2. I have Talos Principle 1 that I've never opened. Oh, well. This is what happens Sorry. when you're when you participate in like humble humble choice. Yeah, you get a lot of games on Steam. Yeah, I think it's like 10 games a month and I've been doing it for two or three years now. And so they just accumulate. Well, I highly recommend it to you as well. Um, I, I find it to be very interesting and it's a good test of my cognitive capacity in 2023. So it's a lot of fun. Next, not quite as cognitive, but also as fun. The Crew Motor Fest, which I put a pun in the parenthetical because it's literally Forza Horizon, but now brought to you by Ubisoft. So if that sounds good to you, or if you have a PlayStation only and haven't been able to enjoy Forza Horizon because you don't have an Xbox and you hate that box of plastic for whatever reason, it's now available to you on the PlayStation. The Crew Motor Fest is my favorite racing game of the year, and I highly recommend it to everybody. And because it's Ubisoft, it's probably on sale right now. Uh, Ubisoft sales at the end of the year are always just designed to make you feel bad about spending full price on their games. Uh, <laughs> Someone but... was telling me about the Avatar sale. <laughs> oh, it, it's all right. I mean, I expect it. I think Avatar's on sale for like 30. They sold it for 70 last week. Oh, 50 was what I heard, not 30. I don't know where they're getting 30, but. Oh, I, I, mean, I think my, I think my buddy Ains at the Vitcast bought his for 30. Uh, but either way, Ubisoft, I actually like their games more than some but they go on sale very fast. That's true. So check out the Crew Motor Fest if you like racing or boats or flying planes or videos of semi-popular YouTubers that introduce racing. Whatever that floats your boat on that list, Crew Motor Fest has it for you. It's a very specific taste. Well, if you think that's specific taste, let's talk about Dredge. (laughs) 
Do you like fishing so, and the old gods? <laughs> yes, Dredge is a indie game in which you basically drive around what amounts to a little toy boat around a little ocean archipelago of multiple islands, and you fish with very simple mini games where you have to hit the button when it goes across the the dial in a specific place, and you fish and you sell your fish and you upgrade your boat and you go to the next location and you fish and you sell your fish and you upgrade your boat. Only at night, things like Cthulhu and the Dark Ones inhabit the lagoon and the sea, and you have to try to navigate those and the mutant fish they bring uh, in order to continue to survive in the game. It is a wild vibe that shouldn't work. Like, even as I describe it, I don't think Dredge should work. But they have pulled off a game in which you get that kind of sense of foreboding unease that the best of the kind of Lovecraftian horror games or board games or, or stories bring, even though you're just puttering around in a little tugboat type thing. And I love it to death. Dredge is one of the games that I wish had a space for it on the top 10, but this year was so amazing that I just had to put it here. And I absolutely love it. Tom will attest to the fact that I love Dredge, and it was one of the games I could play earliest, because for the most part, you're just moving a boat around. Plays great on deck. Plays great on deck. If you recall from last year, one of Tom's favorite things is to announce whether or not something plays well on the Steam Deck, because it's his favorite way to play a lot of games nowadays. Cassette Beasts also. And I know Against the Tide last year asked for which games on our list would be acceptable family fair. I can tell you most of the games are on my list, but we'll try to mention it when we talk about them. Dredge is probably one of the exceptions, and that's really more of a kind of vibes thing. It's not like it's grotesque. There's no swearing, some of that stuff, but it is kind of existentially disturbing and frightening, probably more for the player than the observer, but. Dredge is the closest on this list, I think, to being a problem. The Crew Motorfest might have some lyrics somewhere in some song because it's kind of rocking, I guess. But <clears throat> I don't think so. Next, Terra Nil, which is probably as frightening as Dredge if you really think about what you're doing and what it says about the world. But Terra Nil is a kind of reverse city builder puzzle game in which you come upon what amounts to the Earth after catastrophic environmental events and you have technology to bring the environment back. And you have a technology that brings the environment back in kind of specific grid formations. So you're figuring out how to bring rivers back in such a way that you can bring the grass back and then you can bring the ecosystem back and the birds and the deer and everything else without spending too many resources and working within a kind of puzzle environment. So environmental puzzle solving is a bit of a pun again, because it's me, I'm punny. Um, but it really is a puzzle solving game about restoring the environment and it is super mellow. One of my favorite things that Terra Nil does is the music comes back in layers as you bring the environment back and it, it very much is a very peaceful, welcoming game. But when you do think about it, you have to erase your existence as you leave, right? You have to take all the buildings off in order to finish every mission. And so you're kind of trying to have no trace of humanity left on earth. So it is, in some ways, the dredge of environmental puzzle solving. Tom disagrees. He doesn't no, have anything just, to say with his that. mouth. <laughs> ah, well, Terranil, I really enjoy. I think it, you can get it through your Netflix mobile plan right now. I think it, it's one of Netflix's free games. I have it on the computer, so I don't know for sure. But I think Terranil is owned by the Netflix company at this point. 
Octopath Traveler 2 is my last entry. For those of you that have been following the channel long enough, you know that Octopath Traveler 1 was one of my top 10 games the year it came out, which I want to say is 2018, but I'm not positive. Uh, I love Octopath Traveler. It is an old school square RPG done in what they call HG2D. So it looks like a Final Fantasy VI overlapped on 3D graphics. And Octopath Traveler 2 is essentially more Octopath Traveler. It doesn't really go super far from the Octopath Traveler mold, but I continue to like the notions that it brings up of traveling, of going and finding specific specialities around the world for things like weapons and armaments and and having to know those things kind of innately and getting the feeling of being a tourist and a traveler, as well as I think one of my favorite turn-based battle systems in RPGs. So if any of that sounds good, throw on one of the best scores in gaming this year in terms of music, and you have yourself a really good RPG experience, but not good enough to make the top 10 because this was a heck of a year for RPGs, folks. Tom, did you play either of the Octopath Travelers? I played the first one a little bit. Um, I did not play the second one at all. Um, I agree. I like the battle system. I love uh, HD 2D, 2D HD. Um, HD. Anyway, I love that visual it's style. Just marketing. Yes. Octopath is mostly the is the progenitor of it. I've seen a couple others do it. Um, and I just think it's a very cool style that I hope we see more of. Um, I didn't play any two at all. I watched you play some of it. Um, definitely seemed like, you know, more Octopath, like Octopathier, if you want. Octopathier. Um, um, but uh, I never really engaged with the first one, like, super far. Um, and for me, I think that's the plot is very meandering. It's just, a, I believe you described it as a travelogue. It's like each of these people is, like, doing their little adventure, and there's nothing, nothing's too high pressure or anything like that. Um, but I need something that drives the narrative a little bit more than all these little individual stories. Yeah, I get that. I mean, they do combine in Octopath 1, and I think they're better combined in Octopath 2, but it isn't the draw of the game, right? If you're looking for very directed melodrama of like a Final Fantasy or something along those lines, Octopath, I think, is going to come up short for you for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, but I really do love it, and I love the combination of characters in this one, I think, more than the first one. Partitio is a little bit much. I know that was the that was the quest you got to watch, I think, when it was. I was playing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, he's got a full-on Western accent as they deal with prospectors. Uh, Octopath Traveler 2 introduces the concept of essentially North America being the Wild West. Um, so, yep, they have fun with that, as they do with Square. Uh, but I, before we get too far ahead, I do want to introduce backstage here, Mr. Runkle of the Bailey himself, Ian Runkle, here Hello? to make me feel good about all of my entries and all of my positions on video games. He loves talking games with me. And he's going to agree with everything I have to say. And before he can do that, I'm going to mute him. <laughs> yeah, and then put him as a picture-in-picture, picture, just <laughs> as you're reading things out. Uh, Ian's got like a whiteboard or something. He'll just start <laughs> writing. I don't like this one. I I, I just like share screen or something. <laughs> just be a big thumbs down emoji. Be like Val Kilmer <laughs> from Maverick. Just be like. Somebody came into my tweet when I was announcing this yesterday, Ian, and said didn't you have a stroke because you made immortality or game of the year last year? And I said, uh, my doctors did not make that connection. They should have though. <laughs> I still love immortality. Dr. Um, House would have made that connection. He would have been breaking into your, <laughs> into your place and gone. Hmm. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. <laughs> but this year has so many great games. 
I don't know how anybody could really not find a winner at the top of their list. We'll see if my brother managed to accomplish the impossible. But I think we're going to have a lot of fun with these lists. I have to admit, I cheated a little bit with my honorable mentions. I had so many. I have a second honorable mentions list. You Get said, ready. You said we were restricted to 10. The first time in Hoag Law Video Game of the Year history, honorable <laughs> mentions part two which is licensed honorable mentions. And the reason this gets its own list is one, we had a ton of licensed properties this year, but two, because I think licensed games are trying to do something different than just video games on the whole, which is they're trying to put you in a world that already exists in some way that people love, right? So there's movies here, there's books, there's TV shows. And this was a great year for saying, oh, I want to be in Star Wars. I want to be a Jedi. Star Wars Jedi Survivor was one of the highest rated games of the year. It's a kind of exploration, Souls-like, in Star Wars. I don't love it, or the Jedi series, as much as other people. But a lot of people do love it, and I love Star Wars, so I wanted to include it here. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which is the game we just talked about going on sale one week after they released it, because that's Ubisoft. That's just how they operate. Is a game that came out this December that I really, really love. If you like Avatar, or you like the game series Far Cry, if you like either of those, I think you're going to have fun with Avatar Frontiers of Pandora which is a Far Cry game in all but name, but focused more on exploration than combat. And it's just a lot of fun. If you can imagine an alien Far Cry, it's it's a good time. Uh, the, I, I watched some videos of it. It reminded me of, um, was it 10,000 BC? The one that, uh, the Far Cry that's like primal, primal. Everybody primal. primal, but with right. blue people. Primal with 10 feet blue people. That's right. 10 feet tall blue people, but also primal. Um, Hogwarts Legacy is the most popular, highest-selling game of the year, dethroning Call of Duty for the first time in forever. Um, and is basically Grand Theft Auto at Hogwarts. If you wanted to live in the <laughs> Harry Potter universe and take quests from teachers and things like that and then go out into the woods and fight goblins, it is there for you. It feels like you're at Hogwarts. It is a great game. It just didn't quite make my top 10 list. Dune Spice Wars, if you know Northgard as a uh, strategy game, on the PC is a Arrakis Dune-based variant of that game series, but now with worms and spice and ornithopters and carryalls and all that. Um, I quite like it, but if you know my content here on the channel, you know I love Dune as a story. I love the uh, the new Dune movies, and this is clearly kind of inspired by the fact that those Dune movies exist. And so if you like Dune, it's another one where you're like, I want to play in the Dune universe. What's the best way to do that? A real-time strategy game with territory control makes a lot of sense. Had a lot of fun with that. Star Trek Resurgence is a kind of um, visual novel, Telltale-esque adventure game. Um, so you'll see the next entry, The Expanse, a Telltale series, is, as you might expect, a Telltale-like adventure game. So these are the ones where you make choices on the fly, and the stories are mostly set, but they are tailored by the way you play. Star Trek in particular, I think, is a very good brand for this approach because most of the best plots in Star Trek, in my opinion, are essentially diplomacy and morality plays and dealing with difficult decisions. And Star Trek Resurgence is the first time really since the full motion video era of video games that I've had a lot of fun in the Star Trek universe covering those types of things. The Expanse was actually a little bit of a disappointment for me in that I don't think they fully captured what I like about The Expanse, the kind of real politic and dealing with the supernatural or the extra natural within that political environment. I don't think they quite captured that, but it's still a lot of fun. And it's a universe that I very much love. Aliens Dark Descent is 
ostensibly a group-based squad shooter tactics game, but because you control the entire squad at once, it's really more like the older Guardians of the Galaxy game that was my game of the year a couple of years back, uh, where different buttons do different things for different people on your team. And you do it on a top-down perspective, and you get hunted down by aliens and fight xenomorphs and have all the good times that the aliens crew did. Yeah, I got to nuke it for more, but to be sure... <laughs> Um, but it's a it's a good time if you want to be in a really terrifying environment being hunted down by aliens. If you're fighting the aliens, it generally means that you've done something wrong. Well, that's true. But you get they, they, they do a good thing with the, the radar and the little beeps and you got to go try to find them. And yep. just, and like the, just like the movies. How similar is it to the previous uh, what was that Alien Isolation? I think it was. So um, Alien Isolation is a first person survival horror game aliens dark descent is a tactics top-down shooter okay but it's, it's well done and it, it has the same kind of attention to trying to recreate the feeling of the movie it's based on so whereas yeah alien, alien the movie, isolation versus aliens dark descent I was about yeah, to alien the movie was a ridley scott horror movie and aliens is a james cameron action movie i think those games lined up well with what they are. This is a year in 2023 where I think for the most part, there were very few disappointments and everything that was created really brought something special to the table and the licensed games were no different this particular year. So that's why I wanted to have this list. Tom, have you played any of these? Do you like any of these? Uh, yes, I have played some of these. Uh, I liked some of them. Uh, I, I'm also like not, I, I never finished Jedi, uh, Fallen Order, so I didn't play any of Jedi Survivor, but again, watched you play it. The first half of the year, I basically was sitting with Rick on the couch, uh, watching various games at different times. Uh, well, I tried to jump over holes and things that used to be easy. <laughs> so, uh, I did get to see a lot of stuff that way. I, um, I have multiple times forgotten that Hogwarts Legacy exists. Um, not a great is, sign, which is rough. Cause I was excited for it, but it just like did not grab me at all. When I got in there, don't know. I love spice wars. Um, I love Shiro. I love, uh, one of their other games is going to appear on my list in a second of honorable. Shiro's the company that makes dude spice wars and North guard. Yes. Uh, and, uh, I always find myself like when I'm playing it, just getting pulled in, uh, more than I expect to I expect to turn it on and play it for a little bit. And then I'm like, finishing a whole campaign. Well, I used and to love I really the, the descent. Oh, sorry. Good. I was going to say, I really love the Dune that like Westwood made back in the day. The people that made command and conquer made a Dune with like full motion video and, uh, had all this craziness in it. And I've liked Dune media for a long, long time. And it's always been very conducive to board games and video games, but it went dormant for a while. So it's nice to see it come back. Yep. And Ian, I like have you played any of these? Like Do you like any of these? I haven't played any of them because I tend to be the the guy who picks things up on sale. Um, yep. And so I tend to be the guy who's always playing last year's games. But um, I keep every time you talk about Dune, I keep thinking I want to see something in the Dune universe that's maybe a little bit more like uh, first person or something like. Did you ever play Oni? Yes. Um, something along those lines, because Dune has kind of elaborate combat in the books which never gets used because how do you use it in a top-down like RTS game? So that's always my thoughts on, I keep waiting for that game to exist with Dune and it keeps not existing. So I'm probably going to be waiting a while longer, but um, I think that would be interesting or at least provide some interesting potential. But 
I guess we'll see. I like it as a VR concept, right? Trying to trying to make it slow enough to get through the shields. <laughs> that would be interesting, but I don't think VR is there yet. Um, VR is awesome, Ian. I will not hear you besmirch VR. Oh, I love VR. Like, there's some really great stuff being done in VR. I just don't think VR is going to be able to handle that particular task at the moment. Um, this is fair. And Jedi Survivor, I'll admit, I looked at and gave a miss because the previous Jedi game was way too much uh, parkour for me. And I am so It does have a lot of parkour out. in Survivor as well. I am so parkoured out in video games. Um, I am tired of it as a mechanic. Uh, like, I I love that kind of what we are no does. Yeah, I'm no longer... I love that we're past the age of, like, you are blocked by a small fence. But... I also hate that everything is is like, okay, and now you're going to have the climbing level over and over and over again, especially in games like the Far Cry style thing where it's like, and now go climb this thing for no effing reason. Um, no, you have to climb this thing to get to the tree root in order to get your skill point. Yeah, you got to climb up there to flip the switch. And it's like, no, no, it's a tree root. You put your little <laughs> braid on the tree root. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm so tired of that mechanic. And um, the instant that goes away, I will be um, I'll be happy. Um, I get you just, a save with all the tree brute skill points. It's not even just that. It's just that whole. Um, um, you remember the days of like the and I guess they're not entirely gone away, but like the here's a cut scene with like you have to act at various points. Uh, a lot of the parkour ends up feeling kind of like a variant of that. Because um, it's overly designed. Yeah, it, certainly I think yeah. in earlier Far Cries that was the case. Um, and that, that was a very successful mechanic in Far Cry 3, and I think Ubisoft dragged it across multiple games until they made it a little bit more organic. Not literally organic. Avatar is literally organic, but I mean it, more organic presentation so it doesn't feel like you're just being completely directed. The other thing is that the parkour is always kind of um, they want you to feel like it's an open world where you can climb anything and do anything. But they also need you to actually have barriers because games are about barriers in a, in a large way. Right. You can't get from here to there without solving the thing in between. And as part of a game design thing, people hate when they can't figure out how to how to engage with those things. And so you get the um, the color coding that appears in just about every game where it's like, okay, the climbable things are all yellow. Yes, we do have the guy with the bucket of yellow paint running around. And um, man, that takes me out of a game when I'm just walking around and like suddenly there's the bright yellow climbable point. And it's like, it just, it's this thing that just steps out of the game, like steps out, slaps me and is like, remember, you are playing a video game right now. It's like, oh, okay, there there went immersion. Um, but, I mean, there's some bright yellow things I can jump on. So Ian's hardcore, <laughs> Tom. He's hard to please. I just, I, I have, that's become a peeve because it's been such a thing with so many games that I just kind of go, okay, we could we could just let this go now. Like, you've done it. Find find a new way to do it. or um, Or a more immersive way to do it. Like, either stop doing it or do it better and yeah this i saw this comment and i entirely agree when i think of star wars like the previous one jedi whatever it was um fallen order yes i love like the bits of running around 
lightsabering. That's kind of what I'm feeling like when I'm doing a Jedi thing. Um, there is a lot of that in Jedi Survivor, but there is also a lot of bouncing between walls to try to gain height and whatnot. Yeah, uh, I mean, the I think... bouncing between walls is never really part of like my Jedi fantasy. No. Um, so, I mean, I think the yeah. answer is this is what Respawn does, right? I mean, like this is what they built for Titanfall. This is what makes the money in Apex Legends, and so it's what they do in Jedi Survivor. I, I, I agree yep. with you not being part of the Star Wars fantasy. And I mean, the thing is, I'm not saying it's a bad game for that. It's just not a game that is appealing to my particular interests on that. It's like, okay, um, that's not going to, that's not going to work for me, but it'll probably work fantastically for someone else. Uh, it's very highly rated. All... And I think it's very good. It was very difficult for me to play early on because of the parkour. Um, I will tell you, I'm sure Tom can admit to watching me essentially try to jump onto a pipe that goes out over a ledge because that's where you need to get to, to get to the next area and just missing. And my Jedi would fall and die repeatedly as the difference between landing and not landing in terms of moving the left stick and your thumb is like two degrees. And when you're trying to get that spe specificity back in your thumb, it was not the right game for me to play for a long time. And I still haven't gone back to it to enjoy it more fulsomely, but I have gotten about halfway through. I think a lot of those games also suffer from, um, ideally when you fail at something, it should still be fun and you should be going, I want to do that again. Whereas like the falling off of cliffs thing, I find I very rapidly get from to like, I just want this to be done. Like when you're in fairness to make... Jedi, it doesn't kill you when you fall. You only lose a piece piece of your health bar. But if you but do it enough like... times in a row, but it's still like I just want to be past this annoying jump, right? Like they'll have something where you have that. to jump three times in quick succession or something, and I'm just like, this isn't a fun challenge. Like I'm never gonna go and tell my friends how awesomely I did at this jump. Um. It's just a task that I have to accomplish in order to, and it's, there's a certain point where I'm just like, could you let me like go the long way and fight a bunch of people to get around this? Cause I just don't want to do this. And sometimes the a rancor is, over there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hitting me in you, the, Ian? I don't want to do this place a lot. I think that's a bad thing for a game. Well, for Jedi survivor, for me, I, I have a lot of difficulty with it in terms of like cartography and finding my way mm -hmm. the, the maps are very dense. The, the actual map UI is not super informative and there's a lot to figure out there in a place where I wasn't, I wasn't set up for that and I was falling too much, but I do like Jedi survivor and it is very highly rated. Um, so with that said, I did want to make sure that we got to some of Tom's list, you know, before the three <laughs> hours are up. So Tom, you want to talk about some of your honorable mentions? I believe you made up half this list. Sure. I don't, I don't have any, uh, cute descriptions. Um, some of them are near misses. Some of them I just wanted on here for particular uh, notability. Everspace 2. I adore Everspace. Uh, Everspace 2 is even better, and it moves from being a linear roguelike to being a full open world uh, space sim like Privateer or uh, something more modern. Um, uh, free space. <laughs> I think of I Chorus. I think of Chorus as the modern space game. Yeah, but no one's played Chorus. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and 
anyway, uh, see if it's got a comparison to Privateer. Now I'm thinking I should check this out. I mean, uh, it's a little bit more gamey. Uh, the thing I tell people about Everspace is that it is a space game built on like a, a loot action backdrop. Uh, so it is a little bit less uh, designed to make you feel like you're the the space mercenary in Privateer. Like it's it, it's not as concerned with realism or trying to present that to you as much as it is trying to give you fun, which I think is fine. Uh, and Dan Rodriguez here, as I said, one of the co-hosts of the BitCast with me says, Tom, Everspace 2, Chef's Kiss, and he loves it. It's Freelancer <laughs> slash Diablo, he says. I yeah, mean, I, I just it. hit download demo just based on... <laughs> <laughs> That's what we hope Everspace. for with these lists. Is we make them more aware for people that don't play as much as us, which is probably too much. But it's been a weird year for me. Uh, Everspace 2, like I said, it is, is excellent. I played a decent amount of it in early access, which is, I think, probably part of the problem. Um, is that I, whenever something comes out of early access, I want to start it over and see if they've added any content in the middle. And so sometimes I'm doing a lot of the same stuff, and that can be not great. Um, but I still have every intention of going back to Everspace 2 because I do I love the Everspace series and uh, the sort of looter shooter part of it only amps it up for me yeah no i i that is absolutely your type of game and i liked it. i was actually just playing it today because i was putting these slides together and i was interested in what tom had to say it's not just because you mentioned it tom dan had also mentioned it this last weekend so there were a couple of people saying hey rick play more everspace 2 tried it out it's very good i think i like chorus better but you've claimed that nobody played chorus drake williams disagrees he says <laughs> i platinumed chorus and he didn't okay. call it Corvus. No one. I mean, I don't mean no one, like literally. We Let's did. go to the tape, folks. Did he say no one? Oh, I did. If you can pull that edit up that fast, I'll be impressed. No, I can't. I couldn't before, by the way. I feel I like Ian's new... doing it right now. No, I'm just checking out the games that are being mentioned, <laughs> especially like by Tom. <laughs> uh, because I, I trust his recommendations a little more. <laughs> oh my goodness one of the things we are going to do towards the end of this video folks is we're, i'm going to put up a poll that asks you which list you like better so please feel free to vote on that i'm not going to put that up until we get at least most of the entries out so that you don't just start voting for tom out of spite I, we've always so. been pretty close i think i don't i don't think there's ever been a blowout so this is the year folks we can do it take him out take him down <laughs> don't don't let this last year discourage you. Um, Lords of the Fallen is a Souls-like. Uh, came out recently. Like a lot of sort of end-of-the-year games, um, I just don't get enough time with it to know whether I love it or not. I was playing Lords of the Fallen last night, uh, and I really, really enjoyed my time with it. Also, I call it out because it has a piece of tech. Anytime there's a game that has technology that I don't understand quite how they did it, I love to call that out. So Lords of the Fallen, if you don't know, has this... Uh, lantern mechanic. You carry around this thing uh, called the Dark Lantern, the bad, I don't know. It's some lantern. Spooky. And uh, when you shine it, it, it you death. can see... What'd you say? I said spooky. It sees death. Yes, you can see into like, yes, the death realm or the equivalent of Lords of the Fallen's upside down. It's the same exact world, but has a bunch of stuff kind of around it and dead things. And But you're still in the living world, like looking into it and things can actually interact with you. You can interact with the collision in that world. Um, th stuff can actually drag you through into that world. 
Um, and then for also for puzzle solving things, you can use it to like change. So like you're walking on collision or you're open, you, you know, this, this gate doesn't exist in the dead world. It's sort of like a soul reaver uh, ish idea of these two worlds that are parallel, but, but separate, um, but where they're overlapped like perfectly. So it feels like the same space. And I, I don't know exactly how they're doing that. Uh, and that's why I find it fascinating. Um, and the way that it works is really great. One of the anecdotes I have is uh, you're, I'm, I have the lantern out and I'm, I'm walking across this uh, bridge. I'm in the real world, which is called Axiom. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at this bridge, which only exists in the underworld, which is Umbra. And this guy in the real world, this big dude with a spiky helmet just starts to, to bull rush me. And so I go, uh, and I look straight down and then look back up. He fell through the floor because the lantern wasn't highlighting the collision anymore. And so he, he fell because there was nothing there for him to stand on. And I was like, <laughs> I don't really get it. job. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are doing, but this is amazing. Uh, so that's why I want to specifically call that one out. Um, I do like I think the game developer you talking about it if as I'd had more time on it. Yeah, I, I said I do like the game developer in you calling it collision. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you'll get a lot of that. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, I love Lords of the Fallen. And I will tell you, uh, you saw Lies of P on my list. That was a debate between me putting Lies of P or Lords of the Fallen there in that Dark Souls slot. And Lies of the P won by the slimmest of margins. I love Lords of the Fallen. Yep. Uh, meet your maker. Uh, the reason this is on here basically was I got obsessed with it for about a two to three week period and then completely dropped off of it when I felt like I'd kind of seen everything. Um, for those Tom who can know, do the full on burnout. I can't get super into that. a game and then burn out. Meet your maker is basically you're building <laughs> ironically uh, sort of parkour setups that the other players have to go through to try to steal something from the center of your base and then you've have set out a bunch of traps and you can put things that they have to fly over and and avoid and, and all these kind of things and it so for one on one side the player is trying to dissect this dungeon that has been built to try to get to the center of it pick up the object and get out and then on the other more twisted side you're building the dungeon and trying to figure out how you can really trick players or get them to look one way while you stab them from the other or just any number of other tricks and then you get to watch footage of people going through your dungeon and seeing kind of which things succeeded, which things failed, and continue to optimize your, you know, like death house. Um, and the whole thing is in this really bizarre uh, setting where the thing you're actually recovering is genetic material that you're then giving to this thing called the Chimera, which is a monster, disturbing. Um, <laughs> But uh, I just I got really into it for a little while, building the perfect dungeon and, and trying to figure out like how to come up with something that nobody had uh, was really fun in the early days. And then, like a lot of these things were user generated content and this kind of competition. Did it is, get meted out? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. It, it all kind of coalesces into, well, this is the best thing to do or this is the these these three strategies work the best. And so you'll start seeing the dungeons then begin to homogenize and that was that's where i was like i think i've seen it also the a number of like traps and monsters and stuff which i know that they've been growing out since i played it was relatively small so kind of once you had unlocked that and played with it there was there was nothing more to see 
<laughs> uh, yeah, and and he really did play it a ton. I I remember many nights essentially falling asleep on the chair next to him to the awful sounds of like people getting gutted by like oh, yeah. knife traps and things. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was that really grin. into it. Yeah, no, it was. It's like ah, this is lovely. Yeah. Um, but he was nice enough to, to be around and playing something. Yeah, that's how it sounds. Uh, he was playing something so that I, you know, would have a buddy and it was horrifying. Uh, but yeah, I think it has, it has had a couple of DLCs come out. It's from the people that make dead by daylight. If you know that game, which is one of my favorite multiplayer games. Um, but it is even weirder than that. So yeah. I mean, dead by daylight is not that weird. It is. If you read the background stuff. They love writing like behavior loves <laughs> writing stories, which is hilarious because you don't need it for the game, but I love it. And so like everybody has a background and the mist is a thing. And like, there's a whole bunch of stuff in dead by daylight. That's weird. Um, but I will agree that actually playing the game isn't as bizarre as going into the future scape and feeding genetic stuff to a monster. Yes. I'm fairly certain one of the mechanics in meet your maker is you are getting this person to become very experienced so that you can feed them to the chimera they they kind of gloss over it but basically like this person this clone that you've trained to be like good at traps or whatever like basically just goes into a pit and then someone else comes out (laughs) (laughs) thank you for this musical soup too if you had intended to leave a message please do so i'll try to snag it uh but i really appreciate it and thank you for the support for the channel or for tom maybe you just love to hear tom talk that's okay too (laughs) Final Fantasy 16. Um, I'll yeah. be surprised if it doesn't appear on Rick's list. Uh, it was much better than I expected. Um, the, the the combat feels very good. Uh, the story that it was telling felt very interesting and well told. Um, I just didn't have time. I mean, like I think as Rick was saying, it was a really good year for RPGs and really did not have time to give it the... Uh, uh, attention that it needed and also it's it's not like overly challenging but it does have a learning curve and a, and a skill level which if you sort of you can't just kind of pop in and pop out like you have to kind of stick with it if you want to maintain momentum at least that was my feeling well in terms of get goodness i beat final fantasy 16 so i'm not going to hear it from you uh, yeah and i want not, you to remember this Dark Souls. I want to. I want you to remember this conversation that Final Fantasy 16 is here on Tom's honorable mentions list. When you see some of the entries on Tom's list, remember he didn't have space for Final Fantasy 16. Just remember. It's all fair. It's all fair. We, we, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. It's fair. Okay, so this is one Rick. Rick is like, this is not real. This is brotato. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It, so effectively, this is. If you'll recall, last year I talked about Vampire Survivors was on my list. I think it's going to spawn a whole bunch of spinoffs. It did. Um, it had already, but this was, this is, I don't know, 10 times as many this year as there were last year. Um, and Brotato is just the one that I called out. I played a lot of them um, partially, partially out of professional curiosity, partially because I actually do find them enjoyable and, and kind of chill. He loves them. Um, Brotato, the reason that I called it out is it, it was the one that introduced a different um, model for how that game could be structured that a number of additional games copied. And so in, if you've played Vampire Survivors, you know that it's um, 
you have like 30 minutes and you're constantly going fighting off guys and you're getting items and you combine the items to make better items. And that's that. Brotato instead made it so that you're getting the items. It's a series of levels with an increasing timer. So the first level is like 10 seconds and then 15 seconds and then 20 seconds. Uh, same idea. You have to survive for the whole thing. And then the itemization is happening between each level. Um, and so then a, a number of games, one of the ones you'll see on my top 10, uh, God of Weapons, uh, a number of other ones, use this model instead because it fits certain design things better than the Vampire Survivors model. But then you also see a bunch of those, um, like Spirit Hunters, and I could name about 100. Vampire I like Spirit Hunters a lot. Um, but that's the reason I, I Brotato is one of my favorites. It's very straightforward. It's fun. Uh, oh, and it also um, creates its uh, own progression system that the that Vampire Survivors doesn't. They're similar in terms of in order to progress in Brotato. So the, 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 chick, the trick to Brotato is there's actually like 30 or 40 classes that you can start as. And those are just basically like statistical uh, rule, statistics rules like, oh, you do twice as much range damage, but you're not allowed to have melee weapons and you can't move well and shoot at the same time or something like that. Um, and so you have like a kind of a, a specific build design that you're trying to work around. And then in order to unlock these other classes, you have to achieve certain very focused things like get to a speed of 200% or something like you have to really focus on something to do with that build. So you have to find like the right Brotato to use to achieve some uh, can level. Can we pause on that for stat. a second? I have questions about finding the right Brotato. <laughs> At the risk no. of this sounding like a dating Why hotline, would you have questions about that? <laughs> can, you, can you please explain to me what a Brotato is and what I, the overall concept of I the feel game like is. that's pretty self-evident. I believe it is. So Brotato, I believe, is potato, obviously, and like dude bro. I, I think those are what's being combined there. So is your character a dude bro potato? Yes, something like that. Um, and well, and they have the the they have all kinds of different. So yeah, there's like the like big shooter marine guy, but then there's also like the nerdy guy, and he works this way, and then the magic guy, and he works this way. So there's really a bunch of different uh, uh, silly personalities for them. But the basic idea is it's build craft, like as a game primarily. Um, if you ever played Nova Drift, it's very similar to that. Um, Rick's looking at me he makes like, games no up, folks. He makes them up. <laughs> Nova Drift is like asteroids, uh, slash old, old school 80s arcade games, but every but you're it's using like a roguelike kind of progression system where you're constantly leveling up inside of one session and that controls your weapons and how your ship works and how you move. It's the same idea, it's it's build crafting just at a very small, fast scale. Um, and Brotato. It, like like Vampire Survivors, the only input you have really is moving. The weapons all work themselves, which has a kind of fun... Uh, it's kind of fun in Brotato's case because you have like six arms that are all constantly like shooting or whacking things, just kind of like coming out of you. It's funny. This is where we admit that Tom accidentally invented Vampire Survivors, but didn't know it years ago with a game that he released on the iOS called Flip Ship. <laughs> which featured you just moving around and it automatically firing at the nearest enemy. That's true. We did, we did do that. <laughs> uh, we did do that, yes. And I overwrote that, right? I talked about how I like the overwriting in Dead by Daylight. I, I was writing lore entries in a jury room for Flip Ship uh, and for the sequel or successor, Little Labyrinths, that were so long 
Tom said, forget it. I'm not editing it anymore. I'm just putting it in. Just give me what you got. <laughs> Digital words are cheap. So that's why it all ends mid-sentence. Oh, no. <laughs> I ran out of, I ran out of uh, memory in the string. Yeah, Ian just bides his time. It's like a ninja. So Brotato, um, folks, is a vampire survivor's game in which you select your Brotato and you yes. fight off what? Who do Brotatoes fight, Tom? Who do Brotatoes fight? God, it's been a while since I played Brotato. Uh, I don't remember. They're like, wait a minute. It's on like your honorable mention. You don't know who something. you fight. Hold on. Now I got to look it up. It's not okay. It's not exactly war and peace. They're little blobs. Well, I mean, are you fighting? Is, are you fighting cartoon? They're like little blobs. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it right they're, now. They're like little they're blobs. Little purple that... alien squiddy looking things. <laughs> sometimes they have helmets. Yep. Sometimes they have, uh, yeah, helmets or I toupees. More I teeth, less teeth. Uh... <laughs> but yes, they're just silly little. We will have some screenshots for the actual top 10, folks. It's what we use to differentiate the list from the non-list. So no screenshots for Brotato. I'm sorry. But if anyone wants to talk about Vampire Survivors likes, which I guess the term that they've come up with is bullet heaven, which I don't really care for. Um, no, that's, that's awful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it because I've I've played a lot. I can definitely remember. Uh, I recommend some of them, like um, Halls of Torment, very good. Diablo aesthetic, if that's what you're into. Um, I will I will argue for Spirit Hunters. Spirit Hunters is is solid. Um, I don't know exactly what I describe that aesthetic is. Army of Ruin by the people that made Ziggurat, um, and then a bunch of others. Like that. Seriously, there were like 20 plus this year, or something like that. Yep. Of ones that I like played and know about. There's probably another hundred. And now you know more about dude bro potatoes than you ever thought you would. Or Thanks, ever folks. wanted to. What's a War Tales, Tom? <laughs> War Tales. Uh, so this is another game by Shiro, the people who made uh, Northgard and the Dune Spice Wars. In this one, it is you are the leader of a mercenary company. Um, turn-based tactics. You're leading these guys around. If you ever played or saw Battle Brothers, it's very similar in... Uh, theme. You're, you're running a medieval company of mercenaries. Um, I played it in early access. Was really excited about it. It came out. Really enjoying it. It's. I. I, I think there's something appealing to me about the sort of leading a mercenary company um, theme, or like, uh, you know, starting with something really small and then building it up and building up these guys that these guys can die at any time. So you're like, oh god, um, that just really I find interesting and appealing. And I, I think that makes for a very interesting story. Um, you know, when the, when you lose one of the, the, the main people that's been in your squad for a very long time. And so you like literally bury him on the campaign map and then, you know, or, or you literally carry him back to like wherever you want to bury him, include it. And, and he weighs a lot. So you have to give up loot. <laughs> Um, to be clear, Tom means literally in terms of game mechanics. He has <laughs> they don't actually ship you a dead guy, is what you're saying? Oh God, did I say something like they? I <laughs> no, you said it fine, Tom. I just literally in the game. Yeah, literally in the game. You know, I get you. Um, um, and I, I suspect this is not the last entry we'll hear about from you regarding squads and character development and having to deal with people going a little more quickly than dead you would, people than you would hope. Seems. Seems likely. I'm trying to remember what my top 10 is right now. It's gonna I do be love it because Tom does forget it. He does. He knows he likes the game, but he forgets the order. He I know my number there. one. I know my like top four, like 
and then from there it gets a little hazy. Um, Aces and Adventures uh, just sort of hit me totally randomly. This is one that I got in a bundle. I was like, eh, it looks okay. It's effectively a roguelike collectible card game uh, type thing that is played with a deck of playing cards. And the way that it works is so you've got a character and they've got abilities <clears throat> based on their class. Like you've got a barbarian and a sorceress and a whatever. And so there's ability cards that are them. And that can be things like do damage to an enemy or change a card from to a different value or a different um, or a different uh, suit or something like that. But then also your abilities are powered by suits and values. And so like that way you can kind of take this uh, random thing, the playing card deck, and alter it to do the things that you want it to do. At the same time, you have basic attack mechanic of make the best poker hand that you can. And based on attack and defense values, the uh, thing you're hitting will try to defend against it by making the best hand it can out of a certain number of cards. Yep. And there's a couple of things I want to say about this one, Tom. Before I do, I want to thank Sandy for gifting five Hoglaw memberships and receiving one back. I don't think YouTube's supposed to do that. So I'm sorry for that, Sandy. But I'm glad you gifted yourself a membership. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the support for the channel. And I did want to mention, for folks that watch the BitCast, you might have heard me talk about the Fabulous Fear Machine this weekend, which is a game in which you spread urban legends around various territories in order to spread messages to achieve your ambitions in some fashion. Uh, and I recommended it to Tom. I actually bought Tom a copy because I love this game so much. And he described it as essentially a game mechanic that is designed around telling a story more than playing a game. And I said, great, can you recommend more of those to me? Uh, and he did. He recommended a number of games, one of which was Aces and Adventures. Uh, and this is a game where you, you do just have a poker hand, but you're playing through a story at the same time. And then you run up against a monster or a bandit or whatever. And then you wind up playing a version of poker with these special effects that Tom was describing. So you have a specific class and that class might say all black cards are worth double attack. And so you're, you're going to highlight your spades and your clubs and you might have a card that then says you can change a card to a spade or something along those lines. And you have all these interactions from the special deck that go with kind of playing poker at the same time. And much like Fabulous Fear Machine, it's this notion of a game genre that I would consider storytelling with a light game mechanic to give you some notion of conflict and some thought process in what is otherwise a kind of visual novel approach to video games. And I really like that combination and I hope we continue to see it more because Fabulous Fear Machine, I have loved this past couple of weeks. I really enjoy Aces and Adventures, and I really like a game that you might have heard Tom talk about a few years ago called Four Tales. And if you're oh, looking to, that for that last, on Steam... Was it last year, wasn't it? Or was it two years ago? Maybe it was last year. It's been a long year for me, Tom. I don't know. Um, <laughs> four Tales, if you're looking to, for that on Steam, it's four like the end of B4, and it's tales like stories. I think it's a terrible name. I never would have recommended it for marketing purposes because I looked up for the number and tales as in tales of animals because it's a cartoon animal based game. So all these cards look like they're from the old Disney Robin hood, but it's again, storytelling through a gameplay mechanic. And if you like narrative, if you like that kind of thing Four tales, I've really enjoyed as well. And you wouldn't see that because it didn't come out this year, but it's an excellent version of the kind of story by game mechanic. And I just wanted to say that Tom, thank you for letting me take over your honorable mention list for just a minute. I know, man, I was silent for like 40 minutes. <laughs> Anyway, well, mostly. Um, 
Yeah, and I would say that Four Tails is an excellent example of what Rick's talking about um, in terms of like you're using cards on other cards to basically kind of adventure around. And it's a very loose mechanic. Um, Aces and Adventures, in my opinion, is actually a very strong card game. Um, like it just feels good. It's you're using two decks. You're using a, a normal playing card deck, but then you've also got this special ability deck that's tied to your class. And those are fusing together in a very interesting way. I've played it with a number of the different classes and they all play a little bit different. Like there's some classes that are dedicated to making like really good poker hands and that's what their abilities are based around. And that's what their abilities, you know, kind of prop proc off of. And then there's the, there's like the wizard class where. Can you explain proc off of Tom? <laughs> proc <laughs> is, uh, so that's procedural, procedural random occurrence, something like that. Basically uh, you roll a die, you get a certain value and something happens. So it's the 10% chance that something occurs when you hit a guy. Um, that's a, that is shorthand to proc. Um, I just it's the thing that happens you know, when you do another thing. Yeah, and, and on a percent, on a chance, like on yeah. a roll. Yeah. Um. So, oh yeah. So I say, and then like a different Aces and Adventures character is all about just getting the right suits in your hand and using those to activate your abilities. They don't really care about making the the attack hands. In fact, their ability just says consume your attack to draw another card or pull another ability or something. So they're never really playing the poker game, and um, it's just it's really well done and i did not expect it and then as rick was saying it tells the story in a if you've played any voice of the cards or anything where there's a a narrator that reads you kind of a story like there's a very good narrator each of the little campaign missions has branches that you can take and it's just it's a very cool little game that i did not know about at all yeah and i i love it so i'm very glad tom was here to recommend me those kinds of games um, and Four Tales is one that I would happily recommend. Um, and then let's make sure we get your list back because this is your time, <laughs> not my time. RoboQuest. <laughs> uh, so RoboQuest and Deadlink are basically two sides of the same coin. They're these uh, linear roguelike first-person shooters, effectively. Um, RoboQuest is great. You're basically, it's kind of like, I guess I'd say that the um, structure of it is dead cells, but in first person, you're going through biomes and then they link to other biomes in certain ways, depending on if you found certain things or if you got to a place by a certain time or whatever. Um, but then also you're kind of building out your equipment set so you can do different things and you're unlocking classes of robots that you can play as. Deadlink is the same, except the, the setting is that you are... Um, you're like a cyber, you're like a robot that you're having your, you're supposed to be a robot that you're um, having your consciousness put into, but you're actually currently running a simulation of that to prove that it's viable. And then you'll be actually put into the robot uh, is the, is what there's, is the background. But uh, the cool one with that, it's, it's, they both, Deadlink plays out more like an arena battle, like, uh, like a Doom or things like that, where you've got like a, a, a constrained area and you're fighting enemies and there's a lot of movement to it. Um, and then also they have a basic mechanic that all enemies can be marked in some way. Um, and when you kill a marked enemy, you get shields, which are primarily what you're like taking damage to. So there's this constant push pull of, I need to mark enemies and keep my shields up. And also I need to keep moving to stay safe. 
Um, and it's, I love it's, those kinds of mechanics. It's a, it's a fun time. They're both really fun times. Uh, RoboQuest, the only reason it's on here, I think, is it technically sh- released this year, but it's been in early access for two years or so. So I've, I've played a decent amount of it. Deadlink was a, uh, as far as I know, Shadow Drop. Like I didn't, I'd never heard anything about it. And then it was there. And then I played it and I was like, this is great. Speaking um, of Shadow Drops, <laughs> Hi Fi Rush. So Hi Fi Rush is here because I think so. Uh, this gets the disclaimer. This gets the full disclaimer. disclaimer. This is by what? Tango? This um, is by Tango, which is a subsidiary of Zenimax, which is a subsidiary of Microsoft. And Tom works for a Zenimax subsidiary himself. Hi Fi Rush was a uh, shadow drop. They just sort of said, hey, we're releasing this now. Um, and it looked at, I looked at it and I was like, that looks right up my alley. Like it's this third person combat game. I love the art of it. I would probably be on my list, but apparently I'm like very rhythmically challenged and like I could not actually this. play it. Like I, I, it tried to teach me when I was supposed to be pressing the button, but for some reason I couldn't do it. Um, and so I never got really far because I just honestly got frustrated. But I know that it is beloved by like a huge set of people. And I think I would probably be one of them if I could get over that hump. Hi-Fi Rush was the very first game I tried when I got back from the hospital. And it made me sad. That doesn't make the game bad, but it, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't jump forward. I couldn't move my right stick and my left stick in different directions at the time. Um, but I really liked this game. I seem to recall Hi-Fi was one of your like, like check-ins. Like, how am I progressing? Hi-Fi Rush is one of my check-in games. It is. Um, but yeah, that's because when I first got home, like the tutorial has you do some really difficult stuff, like jump up on a box. And I couldn't both jump and move forward on the box. So I would just jump up and down. And it was not my finest hour. It's, but... Uh, it- it's actually kind of amazing how much complicated stuff we do in video gaming all the time in terms of like, I'm moving a mouse, I'm operating multiple keys. And in some games you might be doing something else. Like there's now games that have like voice activation and random stuff like that all at once. And once anything like that gets disrupted, I was actually just thinking a little bit about this before I came on because part like we're uh, what's, uh, I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, Immortality, the game that I didn't like. Um, <laughs> Try to remember the name of your game of the year last year, Rick. You stupid. Part of uh, part of why, like, I didn't like it is that because of my attention deficit, I tend to have my uh, um, razor ages ago, or not. I forget who it was made a thing to uh, tweak the audio inputs. And so you could tweak them to basically focus on certain sounds that tend to be um, relevant in games. Um, And so I tried Immortality with and without that. And with it, which is what I normally am doing, um, all of the audio cues are utterly invisible. (laughs) I think you mentioned that you were having trouble like progressing in some fashion. It was because one of the things you had running. Well, and you were saying that, like, you know, you didn't want to give me any spoilers. Somebody else came on Twitter and was like, here is an exact timestamp. And I was like, there is literally nothing here. (laughs) And then I had to go back and tweak it. And I was like, oh, it's a really subtle audio cue that, you know, if you had some sort of hearing loss, there is nothing in the game that tells you 
you need perfect hearing to play this game. And so there's all sorts of little subtle places and games are getting better at accessibility and so forth, but we still have problems. And I think that that particular studio would probably be a little saddened to hear that they've accidentally created an, you know, an accessibility problem like that. And really they should have maybe, they maybe should have lampshaded it a little more as to what you're looking for. Cause Mm -hmm. I can tell you if you're playing that and the audio cues don't come up, it is, there is no game. Like I get that. No, I mean, I I think that's a perfectly valid uh, complaint. I, I didn't experience it myself. It's so it was, it was invisible to me, uh, but I think that's perfectly valid about immortality, which I'm always happy to talk about, even though it came out last year. <laughs> uh, but before we move on to our actual top 10 list, because we're definitely not doing a great job at our hour count, but that's okay. We're doing okay. We're going to get there. I'm not going to fall asleep on stream. I promised myself this. I'm also not going to slap myself in the face like Travis, uh, but we're having a good time. I do want to thank Sandy who gave even more Hoglaw memberships gifting 10 more. Thank you so much, Sandy. I really appreciate that. And I'm glad folks are having fun with this conversation. I'm enjoying watching the chat talk about what Ian says and what Tom says. Uh, and I just ignore what when you talk about what I say, because nobody ever agrees with me. And that's fine. Uh, but speaking of people that don't agree with me, it's my father. Hey, Dad, how are <laughs> you doing? Thank you so much for being a member for 18 months. Looking great, guys, he says. Welcome, Runkle. Great to see you all together. Happy holidays to all and to all a good night. It's about dad's bedtime. Uh, so thank you, dad. I love you. And I really uh, appreciate it. It's early for him. Uh, you never know. But we'll you know, see. the days are shorter. The days are shorter. Yeah. It's pitch black here in Michigan. I don't know what it's like out there in Wisconsin. Oh yeah. Um, it was pitch black at like four 40. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's pretty dark out here and it's earlier here than it is where you are. So you're a little bit more westerly. Uh, Now, in our format here, folks, as you heard me say, uh, we also put a list together of things you won't see for various reasons that we can or can't talk about. But it's often that we haven't played them enough, but we want to mention them because a lot of other award shows, maybe you're a big Jeff Keighley fan, maybe you're a big fan of the BAFTAs, whatever it might be. Uh, might award these and you might say Man, maybe that they was forgot quite that. the continuum you put together there the <laughs> baftas and the game awards it's key it's keely and the baftas <laughs> uh but we want to make sure you know that we didn't forget these they just didn't make our list so spider-man 2 sorry dan rodriguez resident evil 4 which is a remake of a game that i didn't love when it first came out and i know that that puts me in a doghouse with a lot of people in video games anyway but I like the survival horror Resident Evils and not the action Resident Evils as much. And so Resident Evil 4 Remake, I just didn't want to include on my top 10 list. Assassin's Creed Mirage and Nexus, the VR game, I enjoy. I, I enjoy both of them. I think they're good Assassin's Creeds. But it's just that hard to get on the list this particular year. Asgard's Wrath 2, which I can best describe as an immersive, full-scale God of War with dungeons from linear Zelda games of the Ocarina of Time era, is fantastic. Uh, but I haven't gotten far enough to include it on my list. Super Mario Brothers Wonder, I also love, but I've just found in my age at this point, Super Mario Brothers games aren't as compelling for long periods of time, and I wind up only playing a couple of episodes uh, or a couple of levels at a time. I think Wonder is about as good as they can possibly do for me in that kind of 2D game format, but it isn't my favorite format in video games, so you find it here. Street Fighter Six and Mortal Kombat 1 are excellent fighting games, but... I don't love fighting games as much as other people do. And Remnant 2, Travis's uh, favorite game or or one of his favorite games this year, 
uh, is just not one that I loved as much as him. It is a souls type game and they have a lot of good things that they do in there with procedural generation and actually building their story so that it can send you to different alternative realities in different orders. But I never really engaged with it as much as other people did. So that's my list of things you won't see. Tom? So Asgard Wrath 2 is also VR, right? Like that was one of the big things that I, I, that's why I haven't played it. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's VR and exclusive to Meta because it's okay. owned by Meta. Um, so you have to play it on a quest or maybe a rift. I don't know. Um, but it is excellent. It really is. It puts you in these spaces. You're in Zelda dungeons. You're the fighting is cool for maybe the first time in VR. Um, and I think it's a lot to love in that game, but I haven't played it enough. It only came out last week. Um, and I think folks I've will got like the, it. I've got the steam VR set up. So that's probably me out on that one. <laughs> I want to. Well, I think you um, can still play it through like MetaLink, right? I think you can get you can play Steam games. I don't know. I can you play it on the out. Steam VR setup though? I don't know. Like their uh, their hardware. That'll be the interesting question, I guess. Yep. Sorry about that, Ian. No, oh, it just is what it is. Uh, I hate the fragmentation in the space because it's one thing to buy like a second three hundred dollar console, but VR setups are not cheap. So. Yeah. All right, Tom, explain yourself. Oh, well, I just wanted to call out something from the chat. Uh, Headless Chicken 006 talks about Hello Kitty Island Adventure, which just I wanted to bring up. This is maybe name dropping or whatever, but like the company that I used to work for is basically the people who made this. Um, and I guess it's been doing very well. So I just thought that was. I will really tell you, I asked, link. I asked my youngest daughter about Hello Kitty Island Adventure because she played it a ton. And I said, should it be on the game of the year list? And she says, I think anybody who thinks it's a game of the year is probably overselling it. But if you really like Hello Kitty, maybe. <laughs> your, your kids are so little. That's great. I think that's a little bit much. Uh, it was exactly what she said. But uh, <laughs> I do want you to know that it was discussed at a Noodles & Co. in Southeast Michigan. <laughs> And I just thought it was funny that I knew a lot of the people that worked on it because I'd worked with them all at the same company before. Uh, so uh, Tears of the Kingdom, didn't play it. Um, I think basically You Won't See will probably encompass all Switch games for the most part. I, I'm some sort of, I'm like too graphically inclined that I think like I just can't, I can't do the Switch. I can't do the framiness and the load. I just can't. I'm sorry. Though, uh, Metroid, the Metroid was good last year. I love Dread. my Switch. Um, Resident Evil 4, same. I didn't, I didn't play enough of it. Looked pretty good. Alan Wake 2, didn't play it. I've heard good things from Rick. He's really the only person I've heard things from. Uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage. You should play it. It is good. Now you've heard <laughs> it from two things. Or, right, but I got, I haven't, okay, so I've never finished Alan Wake 1. Yep, you gotta should. play Alan Wake 1 first, buddy. <laughs> Uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage. I actually just booted this up for the first time, like last weekend. It seems like something I would like. Just haven't had time. Uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Watch Rick play a bunch. Looked a lot like Fallen Order, mostly. So I think I know what that is. Um, and wasn't a huge fan. So that's not, you're not going to see that. Spider Man Two did not play. Um, as under as far as I know, it's more Spider Man. I don't know that it's specific as dramatically evolved that formula. Uh, I think Marvel Spider-Man original recipe is phenomenal. 
I think it's the best Spider-Man game ever. Um, and so more of that is not necessarily a critique uh, as much as I've never finished the first one because I don't finish things. I went and looked at my, um, I don't know if anyone else has been looking at their Steam uh, year in review or whatever, but basically like mine is a clearly shows how much of a tourist I am in that like nothing gets more than a little bit of my attention with the exception, even the what you're going to see as my game of the year was 6% of my gaming time on Steam. Uh, so it's like nothing, nothing gets above that. Uh, Avatar top I, is 11%. So, yeah, um, I'm just looking at it now. Hitman 3 was 11% of my gaming time. There's a lot of game there. Uh, there is. You can play you but a lot of Hitman if that's what you're into. Uh, uh, Sons of the Forest as well, which is a good solid one? one. Sons of the Forest. Yeah. Um, I like the Forest games. It's a bit rough because it's still in early access and all mm. of that, but it's a good game. Uh, I didn't really know Avatar was out until Rick told me, looked at it. So I was like, hey, look, it looks like Far Cry Primal in Pandora. Uh, looks it like is. something could be fun because I like, I really like Far Cry Primal. Frankly, I think it was one of the better Far Cries. Um, Hogwarts Legacy, I've already confessed to not remembering that it existed. It came out. I think it got added when I reminded him yesterday, but I, it came out while I was uh, in Michigan. And so I wasn't playing a lot on my consoles just because of how I was set up there. I was primarily using the, my work computer as uh, my main device that I would play on. And then Octopath Traveler 2. Uh, this is another Switch. This is even worse. Uh, I did. I wanted to get it where the frame rate was better, and it wasn't on sale, so I didn't. Um, so I was I'm, I was waiting for a sale on Steam. I think it's had some. Uh, I'm, I'll probably, when it hits like 50%, I'll pick it up, because I really do like the Octopath Traveler battle system and the way that it looks and um i think when you get rid of the frame drops that you see on the switch i'll like it even more and that's yep, it. it's on a lot of systems so you can try it out in a lot of places i recommend it you did you gave it an honorable mention all right now that we've completed our non-top 10 lists in a tidy hour and a half uh <laughs> we are going to proceed to the top 10 lists of either of us. So 20 games, although this year, unlike last year where we had one overlap, this year we have four, which may sound like a lot, but I am super surprised it's only four on this list. So please join me as we go through Tom's list in explaining to him why he is wrong and why I am right. Ian, I am no doubt that you will convey these thoughts and be on my side throughout this entire process. So... Uh, let's talk I, about I believe that that is not accurate, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about my number 10 game of the year 2023, which I think is my favorite year in the history of video games. The other alternative would be 1998, where you had Metal Gear Solid and Ocarina of Time and Starcraft uh, and Half-Life and is just an amazing year in the history of games. I think this is my favorite year. My number 10 game of the year is Starfield. So. Let's talk about it, Tom. Starfield, a brand new Bethesda RPG. I'm sure you could talk about it very openly. Seems cool. Seems cool, <laughs> says Zenimax employee Tom Hogue. Uh, let's put it on the back of the box, that. folks. <laughs> back of the box. So for those of you that don't know, because you didn't listen to Todd Howard's roundtable discussions of the meanings of humanity and existentialism in the universe, and who can blame you? 
Starfield is the next Bethesda Games open world RPG of the lineage of things like Skyrim and Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. Um, it is a game in which you are in some future version of humanity and you are exploring the universe to try to solve some of the universe's mysteries while also engaging in various faction and and subplots related to how these people live their lives, either in the uh, United Colonies, as you can see on your screen right now, or in the very, very cowboy-esque frontier space um, within the Starfield universe, and fight pirates and cults and do other things within that environment. I love this game. I think it isn't as great as people wanted it to be. It isn't Skyrim in space, because it has a certain amount of clunkiness that goes along with traveling from planet to planet using fast travel systems and only engaging in space battles within small arenas around a planetary orbit and things of that nature. And I think it has a menu system that doesn't intuitively teach you how to build ships or build colonies as well as it could, but it has all of those elements within this game. So for somebody that loves Star Trek, that loves the notions of exploration, of optimism in the face of humanity's future, I really enjoy Starfield. It gives me all those vibes and it's my number 10 game of the year. Tom, do you have anything more to say on Starfield that you feel comfortable saying? That was actually very well put uh, in terms of like, I've been thinking about Starfield and trying to figure out like exactly what I wanted to say about it, what I liked about it, what I didn't. What I can say is it, it gripped me hard uh, when it first came out. I don't like, I don't know if it just been like what I was like, I was in the right place at the right time mentally or what, um, but I immediately just sunk time into it um i think i think that the i guess what i'll say is i think that the uh, above all the starship building is truly inspired and i think could be a game by itself for the most part um i think the the way that you can set that up and if you just continue to add depth to that figuring out oh how do i structure this so i can have my crew maximized and then can do these space missions and stuff like i loved that system uh, it is prohibitively expensive, so it is hard to engage with initially, unfortunately. So um, I'm still trying to figure out how to make enough money to build the ship of my dreams. But uh, I really do love that system. I have yep. yet to play it. I, um, I'm i sort of waiting for the mods to catch up to it. Because Skyrim, in some ways, there were some really good mods to Skyrim. Um, including people who are just like, I'm going to make a whole new quest. Um so I'm I'm kind of waiting to see, and uh, I'm also just cheap, so I always tend to buy games when they come out like a year later, unless they're something that really grips me. And um, a lot of the press yeah. around this one was bad. <laughs> it that it was, and I think it was in large part because it wasn't exactly what people were expecting. It's a little bit different than Skyrim, as a for instance, and so I I think. There's a lot there. One of my favorite bits about Starfield is that you can land on seemingly random planets and there will be something like Colonial Williamsburg in space there that you didn't even expect to see. And there's 50 quests and 60 characters. And it feels like a very dense environment that's been well thought out. And I don't always get that from world building. I didn't get that from Cyberpunk 2077 when it was supposed to have it and it released. And I love The Witcher. But Starfield had it. And some people describe those kinds of things as quote unquote boring because it isn't fighting a dragon. You're not yelling dragon shouts at things. And it is a much slower boil. But it's a space that I would rather be in than a fantasy landscape. And so it definitely leans towards my tilts. 
and it has as much as you want to give it, it gives back. So that I always like to see in a video game and it's why I love it as much as I do. But that's number 10, right? So that tells you a little something about this year. Starfield would have been a higher ranked game for me most years that I've lived, uh, but it's number 10 this year. Let's see what Tom's number 10 is because it's definitely going to be on the tip of your tongue. Oh yeah, I'm really... I really want to see the screenshot that Rick grabbed for this. Uh, so BioPrototype is the vampire. Oh, nice. The vampire survivors that is going to appear on my top 10 list. And the reason is because it is, is completely nerdy. Uh, it is like a, for lack of a better word, I'm going to, I'm going to expound on it. It is like a programmer game. And the, and what I mean is you are building all the attacks using basic, kind of programming logic inside of the game and it'll so and it's done in a way that it's not like super ob, super super obtuse but basically like you'll put in a thing you're putting body the idea is that you're building out this organism so you're putting body parts in or whatever um so one of the most common is the spine every the, and the, all the spines work the same way is that they trigger an effect every so often and how often it is complete there's they're all random they're like loot basically they're all randomly determined like how strong is it how many links go off of it how often does it trigger etc so you'll get better pieces and can sub them in but basically it'll say all right i go off every so often okay well what happens when that happens okay launch this set of projectiles okay what happens and then it's like oh projectiles then then you add another effect that's like okay when this thing dies what happens oh it explodes or and you can even branch off of that. So it's like, oh, this thing explodes, but it also spawns even more projectiles. So each of the five projectiles that you just spawned blows up and spawns another five projectiles that then do another something. You're building these like crazy chains. And so like what you're seeing here, all those pink dots are effectively things that this character has fired as part of their um, like designed powers and you get multiple brains which are each a different sort of like power set that you build um and so you can just make these crazy wild builds and like it's just it's super fun did did you ever play a game called legend um it's really old so i don't believe so it was this ancient it you were a like a wizard that was running around in dungeons and you'd build spells that would work like that with like different runes. And this was back at like the Atari ST Commodore 64 kind of era. Mm -hmm. So like super old. Um, your description here makes me think of that, which is a good thing because that's something that I'd wanted to see more games do for a long time. I'm guessing that this is less programmery than say like Bitburner, um, which is just do things in javascript but uh... oh yeah no this is <laughs> so what you're seeing when you construct this is just a tree basically each thing can link to multiple other things and what happens it's basically the way they describe it in when you're setting it up is like when the left thing happens the right thing happens so like the spine is like every five seconds i activate and then the right thing is like launch a bunch of projectiles and then the next thing will be like what to do when this effect ends or something. And then it'll, then you can trigger something from that. And there's some basic rules about what can link to what. Um, so you might have like, it looks like maybe potentially these little purple guys are guys that he's actually spawning. So you can, that's another thing that you can do. That's one different way you can take the build. And it uses the same framework as Brotato 
in that you have a bunch of different initial kind of classes that you can build around and by setting yourself up to achieve like very high values or do really crazy stuff um you unlock new characters uh that have different focuses that you can play with like oh this one only has one brain but everything's five times more powerful so you can't have as much crazy stuff going on but you are all of your effects are more powerful so how can you build like the ultimate like one brain thing i agree yeah, with that's, Joe. Fair. that's fair uh, you know here's the this thing. Is a fair criticism no it, it, no it uh, fair fair and it, it plays great on deck um here's the here's the difference i don't mind pixel i love pixel art i love the stuff that looks like stuff that was on the super nintendo i i actually really like the stuff that looks like on the nintendo the problem i have with the switch is it's trying to look like real like modern ps5 like real it wants to look like a full-blown 3d and it ends up they just don't it doesn't have the power that it needs to do that so it ends up falling flat in my opinion it's the difference between like pixel, pixel art. art versus jank because where you get like, oh, right, that's supposed to. But like, look at the polygons clipping into each other. Look at, you know, weirdness. Yeah. Speaking of pixel art, Tom, I don't know if you've played this. I did want to throw out a reference, but I haven't played it enough. I got it this last week. Have you heard of a game called Nine Years of Shadow? Uh, Maybe if it's what I'm thinking it is. Nine Years of Shadows is a game in which you are a character named Europa, who's a kind of Sailor Moon um, warrior girl who brings color back to a anime landscape in a kind of Metroidvania setting or or Mega Man, depending on how you want to frame the game. Uh, but it's it's excellent. Um, and certainly from an artistic standpoint, it's very beautiful and it has great music. So if you like those things, you might want to check it out because it's a it's a good game. I have not, uh, I've not played that one, so I'll have to check it out. I think I have one that's called like Thirty Minutes of Shadow or something like that, which is why I think I'm getting confused. If there is a different time of shadows, then <laughs> it's not the greatest titling, but yeah. Well, just consider it because I have been enjoying it a lot, and it's really gorgeous. Um, it's not on my list, guys. Ah, the game I, I was thinking of is called Twenty Minutes Till Dawn. So no shadows at all. Well, it implies that there are lots of shadows. <laughs> it's all shadow. It's always darkest before the dawn. No shadows, just darkness. Anyway, uh, all right. So bioprototype. I have an important question to ask. Is a brotato a kind of bioprototype? I don't believe so. But man, if I get to the end of bioprototype and there's some sort of crossover, I will lose, <laughs> my, I will lose my stuff, I swear. You have to construct a brotato. There you go. The last thing you must construct the brotato. I like no, your. Uh, sorry, I ahead. like your saying crazy stuff, and I'd lose my stuff as part of this discussion of bioprototype. I, I I can see you're trying to abide by the rules of the channel, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I've been around young kids a lot lately, so I've I've been getting better. I think. All right, number nines. So we've got Starfield and bioprototype. You can already tell these lists are going to get weird. Let's get weird with number nine. Rick's list, Dave the Diver. Now, Dave the Diver actually got quite a bit more press and spotlight than I had actually expected for this game. But 
I want to talk a little bit about my love of cooking games. Okay. <laughs> so I love all kinds of cooking games. I get cooking games that are just like cookie clicker type games where you're just tapping on things. I get cooking games that are ultra complicated, uh, screen capturing, key pressing, cook are serve delicious type for, cooking uh, games. Cook serve delicious for. I love Cook Serve Delicious, and I think it's a little bit odd that Cook Serve Delicious has now gone into the apocalypse. But I really like Cook Serve Delicious, and I'm actually a, a big fan of it. It's it's a great a game. Very bit of writing, and Dave the Diver, for those that don't know, is a game in which you are a little pixel diver man, and you go and you go through a procedurally generated ocean environment to catch fish to sell at this sushi restaurant back here, uh, and so it's ultimately a cooking game with a dungeon dive type element. And that's also one of my favorite kind of genres. I, as a JRPG fan, I've often liked the setup of you've got a town and it just so happens to be situated right next to a giant dungeon. And the heroes come in and they hang out in the town and then they go into the dungeon. And this is all set up so that you go and you do two dives a day. And then after those two dives, you go and you sell your fish at the sushi restaurant. And one of the coolest parts of Day of the Diver is that you basically never know what's going to happen next. Like just what I described is the base premise of the game. But there's also sea people with an ancient technology. There's a Pokemon card collection element. There's um, uh, game playing uh, with these various things. There's management of the restaurant and hiring of employees. Uh, and all of this is done with the interface of the game itself. So Dave has a little cell phone and he has different apps that he uses to access these different gameplay elements. And every day, something new happens, basically. And you have to go and you have to hunt a shark and you have to get ingredients and all of this is expressed with cutscenes that are gorgeous pixel cutscenes and are way over the top. So like the gunsmith guy that's giving you the weapons to operate underground is also a, a lover of anime. And so he will construct the guns as if he's powering up like Sailor Moon and there'll be an anime song <laughs> that goes along with it. And all this craziness within this environment of the game. And then as you also heard me say, Dredge, which is one of my favorite indie games of the year, which didn't make this list, uh, has recently agreed to a crossover with Dave the Diver, which I call Dave the Dredger, even though they don't. Uh, and after a certain point in the game, the fog from Dredge rolls in, and you have to deal with the old ones and mutant fish and sharks and things like that. And honestly, I haven't gotten to that content, so I can't speak it up anymore, but the trailer looks real cool. So I wanted to mention it here in this space. Dave the Diver, Tom. Dave the Diver. Please great on deck. I, can I just clip that and just play it when I'm done I think talking? Every time I every time I say it, Gabe sends me a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really I was surprised just at how much I liked the Steam Deck as well. I bought one and I was like, "Yeah, it's going to be okay." Um, I have taken that thing on so many flights now, and so good for travel, it is it is so good. Um, I've been like I've got my laptop and I'm just like I I'm leaving the laptop in the bag I'm playing on the Steam Deck because it's just so much better for that sort of space oh, and yeah. you know you're thinking oh it's a small screen I forget it's a small screen really fast and the controls are actually I am a person who hates consoles because the controls typically suck um, I've actually found the controls <laughs> like I can play Hades on it which Hades is not a game for you're having trouble with the controls. Um, Hades is, uh, is the opposite of that. So I like um, to think since you're fishing that the cat is actually making this 
comment, but <laughs> the cat I really like, appreciate it. Callista. I see this. <laughs> <laughs> the cat is like, I want all the fish. Um, I got to slip out. Uh, I'm really curious as to uh, the, so I'm going to have to watch this later to see the top 10. Cause Please I always, do, Ian. thank you for dropping in. Oh, well, I always love these partially for snark, but also just because I get some great recommendations on this. And I think I've already expanded my wish list by several items. So, um, <laughs> Tom's got more yeah. games you've never heard of. I can almost guarantee it. I I I want to hear about all of them, I but I will have to do that. Might have been the most unheard of, but uh, well, maybe you you've got some more winners. I think that <laughs> one I'm I just going to the middle. Well, prototype looks like it's what five bucks. So yeah, it's Vampire I Survivors. That's, uh, so that kind of feels like an easy buy. So I, I Tom's I'll got a up. really good set of tastes for the vampire survivors games the ones he recommends i honestly like and i don't love that new genre so yes you may if you go to last year you may hear rick de decrying it <laughs> while <laughs> I, i'm busy saying it's one of the games of the year i just said it wasn't one of mine it was also on my won't see list right we don't always agree it's <laughs> part of the fun of this conversation <laughs> all right well i'll check out um I guess my top, the one I've been playing just a lot of whenever I've got time, which is not nearly enough lately, has been Alan Wake 2. And um, the other thing, I'll just before I take off, um, like Alan Wake is fantastic. You should play it. It is good. Um, that got me playing Control because Rick was saying, oh, you should like they all tie in. So I was impressed with Control, um, although it's a different game and the tie in is sometimes not the best. But I refuse um, to believe that Rick uh, advised anyone to play control. Uh, I mean, I think the conversation I would have had with Ian is that elements of the plot of control appear in Alan Wake too. Mm. Uh, but yes, Alan Wake is one of my top five games of all time. I highly recommend it to anybody interested in narrative storytelling and video games as a medium. I think it's an excellent game. Uh, Alan Wake two is also a game that is worthy of your consideration. Control is an action game first and <laughs> foremost, right? A control yes. has does not have a plot that that equals the two Alan Wake games. Uh but I think that's it's fair. It's less plot heavy, although control does have a few moments where I just was like, oh wow, this is great. And then it also had some moments where I was like, you are not doing nearly as much with this universe as you could. I would really like to take control apart. Um, like if I got the license to control, I would take it apart and make a like a tabletop role playing game out of it because I think you could make a great world setting out of it. Um, but Alan Wake Two has a lot of moments where I'm just like, I'm really impressed by the writing on this in some subtle ways. Um, as an example, and without too much in the way of spoilers, yeah. Uh, just as a record, I, I wanted to mention this to the chat and also to remind Ian right now is that we're not going to spoil anything in this discussion. Um, and so don't worry about it, folks. If you're, if you're looking forward to a game like an Alan Wake or anything else, um, we're, <laughs> we're not going to spoil really, anything. These are some really obvious things that you will know within like five minutes of playing the game. It's Alan Wake. So, you know, there's some supernatural elements to it and you start off with these FBI agents and the FBI agents encounter the supernatural and what you do what I was most impressed by is what you don't have, which is the long thing about like, well, that can't really have been the supernatural, right? Like that usually takes way too freaking long as people are like, 
you know, you, the viewer, are sitting there going, like, what the heck else do you think that could be? Instead, it's just like, that happened, right? And they're like, yeah. Yep. Um, nope. They I go guess right, they go right through. I guess it. we got to deal with this now. Like, this is a thing. Let's go. Let's go solve this. And I was like, that is so refreshing. <laughs> I was just so, <laughs> so pleased to not have to go through the big, long production of like, you know, the disbelieving. You didn't want six seasons of Scully seeing something finally. Come on, Scully, open your yeah. eyes. I, I was just really glad that it was like, okay, let's let, let, like, we got to handle this. This is a problem. And I was like, yes. And it's, it's yeah, really that well was, done. That was perfectly superficial and high level. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to be a spoiler for anybody. Cause um, if the notion that Alan Wake two might include some su supernatural elements is a surprise to you, um, you are probably not familiar with the, <laughs> with the game at this stage. I mean, I was but. really looking forward to the FBI's disbelief for a while, so I, I don't know that I can get into it now. Well, now you know it isn't there, so you can reduce your expectations. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for having me, and uh, see you guys next time. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Well, ah, crap.